1: Happy New Year and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm Snowden Bishop and I'm happy you could join us. The cannabis industry celebrated a major milestone when Congress legalized agricultural hemp late last year. But no sooner had we poured the champagne did the FDA kill the buzz with notice that CBD, including hemp-derived CBD, would remain a Schedule One controlled substance under federal law. While some thought that that wouldn't really matter to people in the industry, like other federal regulations, they had to think again when several law enforcement officers from the ATF and FDA raided an Arizona retail outlet without warning and without a warrant to confiscate chocolate bars and other edibles infused with hemp CBD. According to the local media reports, The reason was that packaging failed to label the products as pet food with a caveat that if consumed by a human, there is no concern. The store owner told one reporter that the officer said the FDA is making their own regulations for hemp and CBD is not intended for human consumption. Considering that chocolate can be lethal for canines, their reasoning seems absurd. But it's typical of the mind-bending absurdity the cannabis industry has been up against since the movement to reverse prohibition began. Suffice it to say, this incident was a harbinger of more regulatory red tape to come as regulations change. We'll be reporting more about this in the coming days, but it's worth noting that FDA targeting CBD is rather ironic considering that it's been legal to buy and sell anywhere in the United States since 2004 as long as it was derived from legally imported hemp. That changed during the transition of the new administration at the end of 2016 when the DEA made an arbitrary if not nefarious decision to assign CBD its own code in Schedule 1. Now, if you think scheduling a then-legal, non-psychoactive molecule extracted from a legally imported plant in the same drug class as heroin and LSD is a ridiculous exercise in futility, you aren't alone. After all, the CBD market is already a billion-dollar industry, and legalized hemp has potential to revitalize agricultural communities, create new jobs, and mitigate problems caused by our overconsumption of synthetic pharmaceuticals, fossil fuels, and forest resources. But when you consider the fact that legalizing cannabis has potential to threaten the bottom lines of corporate campaign donors with competing commodities, it really is no surprise. It's just one example of many recent policy changes born from ongoing political pressure to prevent legalization. What is surprising is how the industry has managed to thrive in the face of legal obstacles that no other emerging industries have ever had to face. One exception, of course, would be the alcohol industry, which suffered its own nationwide prohibition for a little more than a decade. But when Prohibition was repealed in 1933, the alcohol industry resumed business as usual with no interference from the federal government and only a handful of restrictions imposed at the state level, many of which still exist today. Most people welcomed a renewed freedom to enjoy a glass of champagne as they celebrated the end of bootleg crime. By contrast, cannabis prohibition has already ensued for more than 80 years and the dogged stigma associated with it has been hard to break. Nearly every measure to relax policy has been met with new regulatory constraints intended to do nothing more than to thwart the progress. But if there's a silver lining, it's the strength in numbers of those whose passion is driving the fight for legalization. Constantly being subjected to insidious legal challenges has united would-be competitors and galvanized the movement of activists fighting for justice. Unlike competitors in most other industries, Cannabis entrepreneurs have learned that everyone benefits when they join forces and share resources to support one another. It's that we're all in this together sense of community that has enabled the industry to not only survive arcane policy barriers, but to thrive against the odds. That's the topic of today's show and something our guest knows a lot about. Nick Sandberg has been around the cannabis industry for nearly two decades he was only 17 years old when he discovered the power of medicinal cannabis to treat pain from a serious fall while hiking, and shortly after that, he learned how to cultivate. As an activist with NORMAL, the national organization to reform marijuana law, he helped organize the Chicago Global Marijuana March and Chicago Hemp Fest. When he returned to Arizona, he became a licensed caregiver and has helped treat conditions such as MS, epilepsy, cancer, and other conditions. As a cannabis cultivator running his own farm, he's worked with medical marijuana dispensaries to ensure adequate supply of safe medicine. Just last year, his team won the Earl Cup for the best flower grown by an individual patient and caregiver. Today, he serves as the community manager for the Growers Network, which is the world's first online community of fully vetted cannabis professionals. We had the privilege of joining the community, and I have to say it's an amazing resource. Nick, thank you so much for being here.
0: Pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, certainly welcome. So, I'm interested to talk to you about the Growers Network. But first, one thing that I thought was really interesting is that you have a history in advocacy. I noticed that you were an activist with Normal. Tell me a little bit about that. And you were in Chicago at that time. Is that correct?
0: I was. I, uh, I attended college in Chicago. And during that time, I was patient numero uno. Um, I have ADHD. And I had a spinal cord injury when I fell off a cliff when I was 17. So I was I was my first patient, and then also, you know, I saw the need for safe access to medicine for my neighbors, for my community, for other people that could really benefit from the plant um, that were otherwise deterred or unable to access because of, you know, cause it was illegal. So that's what really spurred me on to to get started with my activism work.
1: Normal's such an amazing organization. That's fantastic. And then you also are a grower yourself. Tell me how you got into that.
0: Well, you know, it was a matter of economics, really. Chicago is a very expensive cannabis economy. Uh, And at the time, I just simply couldn't afford it as a college student. So it was, I got to start growing this in the closet. And I really, you know, I devoured every last itty bitty piece of resource that I could lay my hands on. So books, magazines. I was a, fervent reader of High Times Magazine. And uh, it really led me down a path to uh, explore all of the benefits of not only consuming cannabis for medical purposes, but also growing it and all the pleasures and therapeutic joys and value that you get from being a cultivator. And And congratulations
1: on your Earl Cup win. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. So and for for people who are listening that don't know about Earl Cup, they award growers and producers for their product, essentially.
0: Anybody is is open to participate. They they bring in uh dispensaries and uh, licensed producers in the caregiver patient category. So my team was the only one to actually win in the patient category. Everybody that we're up against were big dispensaries, big corporations and We took uh, number one for our flower, which
1: is pretty cool. That's phenomenal. And that's definitely a big feather in your cap. I mean, there's a lot of competition you were up against. So (laughs) congratulations. Yeah. There are
0: 250 entries, something like that. So
1: it's incredible. So, and then also tell me a little bit about the consultancy. You're working with other growers and cultivators, or are you also working with people who are trying to find their own personal programs in terms of usage?
0: You name it. Yeah, any and all of the above. We'll do anything from uh, patient care services to finding the right route and combination of uh, medicine to deliver to the patient um, and also facilitate owner operators with getting licensure, with setting up facilities, sustainable facility design and deployment, Um, And we do really focus on the sustainability side. So uh, employing the most sustainable means of cultivation, whether it be LED lighting or water reclamation and UVC sterilization of said water, um, there's a lot of different avenues that we, we do in the consultant role.
1: One of the things that I love about cannabis in general is the fact that it's such a sustainable resource, not only from the medical side of things, but also having a resource for fuel, paper, plastics. Just Every inch of a plant, of the hemp plant particularly, can be used. And I don't know if it's so much the same with the marijuana varieties, the medical varieties that are grown. It seems to me there are a lot of scraps that just get wasted. But from the hemp side, almost every inch of the plant can be used. And I think it's something that's really important for people to know and understand about it. It's not just producing hemp for CBD. And how often do you talk to hemp producers about finding a way to use what they're not using for their CBD production?
0: Uh, very seldom, actually. Um, you'd be surprised. Most hemp farmers that have gotten into it have done a lot of their research in advance, and they already understand how to fully utilize all of their biomass post-harvest. So um, I'm encouraged by that. That you know, Now in the information age, we're able to share detailed knowledge about not only how to cultivate the plant in the most effective and efficient means possible, but also how to use every last scrap of it. And, and to speak on the medical side, which is where I operate, Um, We use every last inch of the biomass as well, from not only the finished harvested buds, the trim goes to the extract uh, company that we have, the finished biomass that would otherwise, you know, go to waste, gets composted, goes through a uh, vermiculture process. The worms actually end up turning that back into more food for the plant. So nothing ends up getting wasted at all, at least not in my facility.
1: I'm glad to hear that, because it, composting is also another issue that I wish people in the United States would pay more attention to, because so much of this organic waste goes into plastic bags and ferments in landfills. But that's a whole different topic. and
0: <laughs> Oh, my God. We could talk for days on composting, I'm telling you.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, and and also something that I learned as well is that compost organic material. You can put that into a bucket and steep it like tea and make your own pesticide, fungicide. We don't need all of these chemicals and especially when you're talking about the cannabis plant because then you have even more biochemicals inside the compost of a cannabis plant that really is good for the environment on so many different levels. So, Absolutely. yeah, it's it's quite encouraging to know that you're aware of this, and I hope others are aware of it as well. But I want to jump into the community right. because, as I mentioned in my opening, cannabis is one of those community-driven industries. And I don't think in my lifetime I've ever seen an industry where there is that we're all in this together mentality because we started out in this industry when, for the most part throughout the entire United States, it was illegal. And people who knew about it were excited about it and passionate. And we have had to overcome so many barriers just to get to where we are now. People who really wanted to see this industry move forward in the early stages, we were all in this together. And I think that even now that it's gone into big business and most of the states have some form of legalization, whether it's medical or for adult use, and yet still there are networking opportunities that you don't find in other industries as much. So when I learned about the Growers Network, I was very excited about it because I like the idea that it's a place where people who are in the production side of this business can go and learn from one another and and find resources that they're not going to find elsewhere. They're not going to find those on consumer information sites. And these are pros talking to pros. And it seems there's more co-opetition than competition from just my own observations. So now <laughs> enough about what I think of it. I want to hear from you. How this got started, and just tell me a little bit more about the growers network.
0: Sure, um, you know I'm, I'm going to speak a little bit to where we all started. You know, like you were talking about, um, we all have our roots in the counterculture. At least those of us who have been around this for a long time. You know, there really was a certain honor amongst these. We were all doing something that was, uh, you know, a little bit below board. There's a little bit outside of the norm, and I think that alone. Drew us all together, and there's this inexplicable ability of the cannabis plant to bring people that have no semblance of uh, organization to one another, no sort of uh, connection to one another together. We are are drawn together just by our passion for the plant, and I think that is what sort of was the roots for Growers Network and our visionary, our leader Nick Moran came up with the idea. Uh, a few years back, while he was in college, actually as a student at the university, and he dreamt up this community and manifested it in real life. And he's, uh, he's an incredibly uh, remarkable young man in that, that he has this vision for this community that we ultimately have the goal to normalize cannabis the world over, not just in our country, not just in North America, but really the world over um, for everyone. So that whether it be the production, the use, the consumption, the dispensing of cannabis, it's uh, as normal or commonplace as any other medicine or in an adult use environment like uh, like alcohol is dispensed in our country.
1: Yeah, but I, I think that even with the alcohol industry, you know, of course, there was bootlegging back when it was prohibited. Just historically, and I did a little bit of research about what the culture was like, and and it seemed that there was a lot of hard crime that emerged out of the alcohol prohibition, similar to the way that cartels have gained so much power through prohibition of cannabis. When that ended, it, there's actually an amendment in our Constitution which legalized alcohol. It took it out of prohibition. But there wasn't that same passion for it that there is for cannabis and i mean it's too
0: drunk yeah
1: (laughs) 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 well and and it seems that the bootleggers they actually had sort of a foothold in the industry before it happened because they were producing outside of the country as well so there was a there was almost this built-in infrastructure or whatever but it didn't go on for eighty years. We're talking maybe what five years it was prohibited, or ten years, something like that. It was not very long, and
0: not very long. A over a decade, yeah, not long at all. Right. Long enough to have some some real degradation upon our society, though, no doubt about it. There's no question about what the prohibition did to negatively impact society, and I think those societal ills ultimately drove the repeal of prohibition, and, and ultimately an amendment protects the alcohol industry. How about that?
1: I know. Can you only imagine if we had a constitutional convention and actually enacted a, a full-on amendment?
0: <laughs> to... Only if they write it all on hemp again. Uh, it has to be written on hemp, I think.
1: Yeah, I would think so too. <laughs> I don't know. Well, we'll see. But I'm encouraged by the fact that the Senate approved the uh, Hemp Farming Act in the. Agricultural Improvement Act 2018, yeah. And now that we have a new Congress starting in January, I imagine that most of the people that flipped seats, uh, most of them are pro-cannabis. I did look no, that up.
0: And so are 63% of Americans. We all want it. That's the yeah. fact of the matter.
1: Yeah. And the latest statistic that I saw was that there was 89% of the American public believed that medical marijuana should be legalized fully but you still have a lot of skeptics when it comes to the adult use. I mean, and that just kind of makes sense considering where we've been for 80 years with the stigma and all of that. But, you know, it is a sense of community and there's so many benefits to um, to just that sense of belonging, you know, and people who are in this industry. And how do you think that we're going to avoid cannabis turning into big pharma?
0: I think it's going to boil down to our grassroots, you know, pun intended. Uh, we really did come from this place of counterculture. There is still something subversive about cannabis. Um, it's appealing. And, you know, I think in this hyper-competitive environment that is corporate America, there's an absence of that in cannabis. I think you have... Some competition, and certainly at the professional level, I see it uh, as brands are starting to, you know, fight for market share. Um, you're seeing a little more competition, but as of right now, it's still wide open. And I, you know, my hope is that we stay true to our roots, and uh, there's still always that uh, that sort of fun, rebellious air about cannabis. Um, I don't see that changing. I truly don't. Maybe not in my lifetime, at least.
1: Yeah, well, I certainly hope it doesn't for a number of reasons. I mean, and I, I really enjoy the networking opportunities and, and the number of people that are just coming out of the woodwork to become a part of this because it is so exciting. Isn't it fun? <laughs> yeah, and it, the, well, and the economic upside of this industry is just phenomenal. And, you know, I, I believe that cannabis will save us Um, U period, S period. (laughs) Same United States on so many levels from environmental to medical to everything in between. So does the Growers Network get involved in lobbying at all?
0: So we try to stay away from political issues one way or another, um, wherever possible. We do, however, support organizations that are actively engaged in lobbying efforts. So uh, we'll help with networking, with resources, with promotion. Um, but when it when it involves actual lobbying efforts, we're going to go ahead and stay hands off, um, stay a little bit neutral, unless it's pro cannabis. We're all things, all pro cannabis, all the time.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's basically what I was referring to, um, because you know, with with states uh, forming their new um, rules around ballot initiatives and. I mean, because it, it seems to me that the knowledge that's inside the community, that's inside the Growers Network community, is vast. And and you've got a, a diverse array of producers who are from different states who have all had to overcome challenges within their own states and sort of learn on the job, so to speak, about what works and what doesn't with the legislation that's been passed. So. I, I'm asking because of uh, the new states. I think we had uh, North Dakota, Missouri, which um, I was very glad that they passed their proposition too. And what was the other one? There was one, one other, one Utah. other Utah. Utah. That was a surprise. I was very that glad. That was a there. surprise, wasn't it? Yeah, it. It Good definitely. I know. Well, and you know what the the state. House there has been very anti-cannabis. I mean, it, they've been really slow to remove the stigma there because the the church is so powerful in Utah. <laughs> you would think that religious communities would feel that it's necessary to have uh, God's plant on our earth taking care of people, but it, it's so strange to me that they have been so anti-cannabis for so long. So yeah, that was a surprise. And I was delighted that it passed.
0: Even Mormons like to earn money. (laughs) That's the thing. I think they saw the economic repercussions of legalized cannabis in their neighboring states, including Arizona. You know, Snowflake has Copper State Botanicals, which is one of the largest LPs in North America. And uh, that is an entirely LDS run town. So I think that that had a lot to do with it. When we were doing lobbying efforts, as normal, you know, we always tried to hit them where it hurt, which is in your wallet. Uh, it seemed to be a really effective lobbying tactic.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's why also you saw the um, GOP embrace hemp in the farm bill. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, they could see the economic upside.
0: Hey, if the Chinese are going to farm hemp, we'd better get in on this too, right?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, already the American farmer has been sort of left in the dust when it comes to the progress in other countries. You know, Canada has been a major supplier. Their exports are already well underway, whereas we're behind the eight ball. And so now we're going to have to compete with established hemp producers in those other countries, you know, in order to beef up our exports here as well. I think it's going to be a challenge but at least now we're going to be able to join this movement. I think it'll lift a lot of smaller farmers up out of that strange oppression that they've been under because of Monsanto and the and the giant agricultural interests that are sort of everywhere in the Midwest. So most of the members that you have, because you have vetted members, you actually look at who's applying to join the community. Mm-hmm. And you, you ensure that they've got the credentials, they've got the knowledge.
0: Yeah, we we check their licenses. We're the world's first online community for vetted cannabis professionals. So what we're doing is if somebody's doing any kind of plant touching, extraction, processing, infusion, packaging, um, Anything that has to do with touching that cannabis plant that does in fact require licenses, well, we're going to go ahead and make sure that those licenses are valid and intact for those states in which those people are operating and doing business. So that's what kind of makes us stand out against the the competition, right? if there's anybody even like us.
1: Yeah, well, that's good. So what about people who want to get into the business? Is there an associate membership where new growers can go and get mentorship from existing producers?
0: Absolutely. And I'm excited to announce that we're launching in quarter one of next year, uh, the home growers side of our forum, where we're opening this up to the entire public where they're going to have access to the same high-caliber information that you can find on our professional forum uh, available to everyone. And that'll be a first for the world, too. But the professional forum will still remain private and B2B-focused. So
1: right. well, but there's going to be a place
0: at the table for everyone.
1: That's fantastic. I'm really happy to hear that because... You know, I, there are so many opportunities for entrepreneurs to get into this business. And it's nice to know that if they're going to go to a place to get mentorship or to learn and understand how, how the pros do it, um, that the pros that they're learning from are the vetted pros. They're the ones who really are in this doing it the right way. They're all licensed. So that's great to know. Really good to know. And then as far as newcomers access to those professionals, will you have a way for them to contact people to ask questions? And will the members be interested in mentoring?
0: You know, that's that's an interesting part of our deployment strategy that uh, I'll leave t- to be determined. Um, but I certainly want to have a way for, um, you know, some of the more novice growers to access that that professional information. Um, one of the things we do on the forum is the AMA, the Ask Me Anything, where I bring on somebody who's a, uh, you know, an industry leader, a thought leader, a you know, a high-level professional grower, and we open up the forum to everybody to ask them questions in a real-time question and answer format. Everything is typed, and maybe giving access uh, in that way will be a way to to do that. Um, but that's one of those things you're gonna have to wait and see on.
1: Tell me about Grow Metrics. It was like a database that you're working on. There's a beta on the site. Is that correct?
0: It is a database. So what we've done is we've taken the aggregate data from uh, one of our uh, sister companies, growershouse.com, and we've taken uh, eight years of data from one of the uh, largest hydroponic suppliers in North America and been able to focus on all of this uh, really, really interesting information as it as it relates to sales to the cannabis industry. Who's buying what, where, and when, which is of particular interest to everyone from dispensary owners to uh, processors to even rival hydroponic businesses are interested in that sort of data.
1: Wow, so it's pretty interesting because it narrows down to like revenues per state. Like people can see what the industry is doing how are you selecting the brands that you're gathering data from?
0: So they're all brands that are being sold by growershouse.com. That's oh, where that information is coming from. That's all part of the catalog of products, uh, which Growers House offers in their product offering.
1: Okay. So is this sort of like a, a sponsored thing where the data is coming from people who are actually paying to get their data extracted? How does it work?
0: Um, we're, we're Again, we're taking that aggregate data and we're, breaking it down um, into subcategories as it relates specifically to your business. So we're taking, the, uh, we're taking your business and then applying uh, the data accordingly. And we're incorporating data from a variety of different sources from across the Internet right now and some other partners, which is why we're still launching that program right now Is we're still compiling all the data that's ultimately going to be incorporated into the program.
1: Right. That's going to be a very useful tool, I think, not just for the people who are having their data examined, but this will be open to the public to check out these data that you've collected over time. Is that right? Or will it be just useful for the people who are having their business analyzed?
0: Ultimately, it's going to be for the people that are having their business
1: analyzed. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was curious about that because I thought also it it would be a really interesting tool for the general public to have access to at some point, because I think that people would be interested to just see how the cannabis industry revenues are comparing to other industries. And I mean, it seems like there's a lot of information that could be extrapolated out of there and useful to the general public.
0: That's what we're seeing too. Yeah. uh We'll have to wait and see and see how that comes out.
1: <laughs> More to be revealed later. More okay. To be revealed. <laughs> yeah. So what else is going on over there? Anything that you have a burning desire to let us know about?
0: Oh, man. Have you seen Canna Cribs? Oh, yes. Well, that's that's our baby. That's our shining star right now. Uh, the video series that we produce is called Canacribs. We've shot five episodes. We've gone to the biggest producers. So far in the United States, but season two is coming right up, and we're going to license producers all over the world. We're featuring their operations, the products, the processes, the growers, and indeed the backstory behind the growers and the brand strategy, um, all in one you know half hour or less show. And um, it's really taking off. It's really fascinating. They're really really fun to to you know be a part of, and they're super fun to watch. I mean, I get folks from all over the world that are just like, I love Canna Cribs. People like my dad, when's the next episode of Canna Cribs gonna drop? And uh, I think that's working towards that normalization effort that we're all trying to accomplish. I think so too
1: and I it's even people who aren't interested in becoming growers should check it out. We actually have the first episode on our website too and we're going to be adding them, um, you know, we'll add them behind yours so you can get your exposure and then we'll be putting out another one this weekend. As as you release them, we'll we'll add another one. So it's but I definitely recommend that people check it out because if you want to get to know the heart and soul of what goes on in the cannabis industry, people who are really behind the scenes producing. It's definitely a great introduction whether they're already in the industry or not. So Yeah,
0: that's why I brought up my dad. My dad is not in the cannabis industry in any way, shape or form. Never been, never touched a plant. But, you know, I'll be if he doesn't enjoy canna cribs. So I, I think that was that was sort of my sign that we're doing something right.
1: Well, yeah. it It's really interesting. Um, I think that everybody who's in the industry has a story about the look on their parents' face when they told them that they were going into the pot business.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. It was like coming out of the closet in a lot of ways. Not, not that I came out of the closet, but that's how it felt it was, you know, mom and dad, I'm a weed guy. We already knew son, but we support you. We love you still.
1: <laughs> I know. It's it's it was interesting too. I started writing about this in two thousand and ten and when I wrote my first article on hemp, my father's eyes were like saucers. He <laughs> couldn't believe <laughs> His daughter was going to be writing about cannabis, you know, yep. and and then, you know, well, of course, getting into that and, and sort of exposing the big fat lie and all of that, I kept looking over my shoulder thinking the black SUVs were going to pull up outside my house and arrest
0: me. <laughs> well, it was a different time then, let's remember, you know, oh, yeah. 2010. Yeah. So, how parents. do your how do your parents view your uh, career now? If you don't mind me flipping the coin on you a little bit here and asking you a question,
1: you know, it's it's interesting. Um, I I they're really embracing what I'm doing, and they can, they now see the importance of it. So, you know, and it. it I'm not really hands on the plant at all. Um, and in fact, I don't even use cannabis for, you know, just recreational use or whatever, because I'm, I'm sort of, um, I, I don't even like to drink because I just don't like to be mind altered. I'm constantly doing research. So um, I'm a, a CBD user. <laughs> I think it's, um, and I think everybody on the planet should be taking CBD because our, our systems have been so devoid of it. And they're finding out that we need it in our system. Uh, yeah, yeah, endocannabinoid. And th- so they really embrace it now. You know, they, they still kind of, my, my uh, father still gets into arguments about um, whether or not it should be legal. But, you know, it's, I think that they really see the importance of the movement. And, And it's funny, I see I see people that I knew back in high school and college. um, And occasionally, they'll say to me, I didn't know you were into marijuana. (laughs) Because I was always so straight laced. But (laughs) I have to explain, well, it's not really like that. (laughs) I'm a journalist. My job, man. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But and I think that as people learn about this, I mean, I get I get calls from people who've heard my show and who were, you know, staunch opponents. Yeah, exactly. I get calls from people who've heard my show and staunch opponents of all things cannabis, and you know, once they listen and they understand how normal this should be. They really come around, and it's all about education.
0: The normalization. Yeah, it's that's normalization. We're, we're trying to do. Yeah. We're trying to normalize it so that it's just as normal as, uh, you know, either if we're talking about adult use, as normal as drinking a beer or going to your medicine cabinet. You know, for me, I think that's the real, uh, the real goal is that it's not stigmatized when people uh, choose an alternative medicine like cannabis over something allopathic, uh, you know, like Oxycontin, for instance, for pain relief. Right. Um, And cannabis is
1: so much safer.
0: (laughs) So much safer. So much less degrading to your central nervous system and your overall physiology. Um, And, you know, I'm I'm encouraged when I hear these stories that your parents in in less than a decade have come full circle and are now maybe not pro-cannabis, but they're not against it anymore. That means that we're making strides, small though they may be. We're making strides. We're making efforts forward. So. I'm, I'm happy and I'm encouraged when I hear that.
1: Yeah. Also, people thought I was nuts going to radio with this. Um, <laughs> because, no. you know, I mean, most uh, cannabis programs like mine are are just online um, and available to people who are looking for cannabis. But, you know, when I first went out to radio with this, at first people were saying to me, why would you go to radio? It's like, you know, um, you're not going to find your cannabis audience out in conservative talk radio. And I said, well, that's, that's exactly right. That's that's the point. That's the reason I went to radio is because, you know, now, now we have an opportunity to share these amazing stories with people who are um, not going to search for it online if they've never heard of it or never thought about it or whatever and so yeah and so I, I, I feel like this is a really good thing and for anybody who's listening out there thank you for listening um, and Absolutely. tell your friends because this is this is such an important movement in our time and I think that this is perhaps one of the most important new industries of our generation I mean, we're not going to see an emerging industry like this. At first, people were saying to me, why would you go to radio? It's like you're not going to find your cannabis audience out in conservative talk radio. And I said, well, that's exactly right. That's the point. That's the reason I went to radio is because now we have an opportunity to share these amazing stories with people who are not going to search for it online if they've never heard of it or never thought about it or whatever. And so I feel like this is a really good thing. And for anybody who's listening out there, thank you for listening. And tell your friends, because this is such an important movement in our time. And I think that this is perhaps one of the most important new industries of our generation. I mean, we're not going to see an emerging industry like this in our lifetime again, unless there's some new technology that's going to come out that's going to transform lives. There's really nothing else like this that's transformed the way that we live since the tech boom. (laughs) It's
0: like transcendent. It truly is.
1: It is transcendent. That's a good word for it. It really is. So, you know, and, and on so many different levels. Um, and we have yet to explore the environmental benefits of it. And if we go back to the conversation that we had about um, climate, it is transcendent. And that's a good word for it. It really is. So, you know, and, and on so many different levels. And we have yet to explore the environmental benefits of it. And if we go back to the conversation that we had about climate change and, and the climate deniers, you know, this is one way to start implementing sustainable um, alternatives like yeah, food, for energy and and commodities, you know, like, like building materials and plastics and paper and that sort of thing, without calling it what someone might deem to be a tree hugger movement. It's, or even how
0: we approach agriculture at large. You know, I think there are a lot of sustainability issues that cannabis farmers are exploring first that a lot of conventional farmers are, aren't even touching. Um, and they're, they're switching to our organic protocols and their IPM strategies and in how they just approach the holistic growing of the plant. And I think that could represent a real paradigm shift for agriculture at large, that it's something that could actually transcend the cannabis base and really impact farmers everywhere who are, we're overmining phosphate. That's what it is. We're almost out of the phosphorus in this world. We're talking about NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, the building blocks of life for plants. What are we going to do when we run out? conventional farmers are screwed. So we really, really, really need to start looking at some of these alternative methods to even approaching growing plants, growing our food. Um, The cannabis farmers are doing first, to our credit.
1: Yeah, well, and composting, as you mentioned. Yeah, composting is one of those things that can replace the mining of phosphorus, because you can make your own fertilizer out of the hummus that comes from the composting of organic material. So yeah, combine that with
0: a good microorganism like a beneficial enzyme or a microbe and you've got all the be- all of the building blocks for life without mining phosphorus without mining the phosphate that's in such short supply. Yale University said we could be less than 50 years away from being out of phosphorus if we go status quo, if we continue status quo with the way that we're mining. So and nobody's talking about it. That's yeah. the issue is we
1: Yeah. Well, and not only that, but other pieces of our ecosystem are being threatened right now. For example, all of the petrochemicals and phosphorus that we're using for um, like Roundup, you know, weed killer when you're growing corn. I mean, it it it's so counterintuitive to me as to why anybody would want to put a, a foreign chemical like that into food, which now we're learning is actually a cause of cancer. It's a cause of autism. It's a cause of so many of the health issues that are plaguing people in the Midwest and, you know, the, the inorganic way of dealing with you know, the, the antibiotics that they're putting into animals that are being harvested for food. It's, and, and all of these things are contributing to poisonous water tables and, you know, we're all affected by it. And so, you know, through the cannabis industry, exploring these organic methods and and proving that on a large farming scale that these methods can be profitable, I think is a really amazing upside, which is one of the reasons that I was so interested in in learning more about the grow metrics and and um, you know the insights that you're able to derive from um From these metrics that you're gathering, I really I really encourage you to take this public because um it it really could inform not just the cannabis industry but also agriculture at large and in, in which we'll all benefit from in the long run. if we lose our bees, which are threatened by the mm-hmm. roundup ready Monsanto crops, then we will not have fruit to eat.
0: <laughs> we're going to die. We won't have air to breathe. We're yeah. screwed if we lose the bees. That's, there's no two ways about that. Yeah. So we're at yeah. a critical crossroads here in human history.
1: Well, we really are. And it's not just the warming of the planet. We're annihilating the human race is what we're doing. And until people begin to really understand that that is what's happening, and continue to listen to the big interests that are trying to take everything out of the ground that they can and make as much money as they can. I tell you what, in 20 years, all the money in the world will not repair your health from the damage that is being done today. And if these people have grandchildren... What do they think their grandchildren are going to do if they continue to deny these problems exist?
0: They it's, won't have grandchildren. They, <laughs> there won't be a world for their grandchildren. That's That's, that's what right. We're
1: Either that or their grandchildren are going to have to live in caves in order to avoid the heat. I mean, really and truly, what are they going to do? And so I become just so Disgusted is one of the words, (laughs) you know, I'm passionate about it. And, you know, it's the whole reason I got into cannabis in the first place. That first article I wrote in 2010 was actually going to be an article about agriculture and the unsustainable agricultural practices that are dangerous. And when I started learning about hemp, it changed everything for me because I could see that so much of what is wrong with our world is because hemp was prohibited that is where the whole downward spiral happened with our our health and our environment particularly so you yeah, know it'll be interesting but that's another reason why i think that that phenomenal community aspect of this emerging industry is so important because as people become passionate about the plant they will also become more passionate about the benefits of the plant on an environmental and health level so we can start getting out of this special interest-driven thought paradigm that we're in right now that's governing everything that happens in Congress and big industry. And hopefully we can get back to this more holistic way of approaching life in general. And I think that the community that the cannabis industry is creating that passionate, holistic community, I think that is going to be the driver of our future.
0: I I certainly hope so. And I I agree. Um, I think we also have one of the most passionate uh, groups of individuals of any industry. I mean, I've been on a lot of online forums. I've never seen like an engineering forum where you have people have such passionate discussions and discourse uh, regarding any subject. So I think it stirs a lot of emotion and emotion can drive change. So I my hope is that the the strong community uh, will help drive that 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 paradigm change for all of us. and as we start to embrace that community, you know, growers' Network is going to be there to be part of that community, to be that place where people can gather and share and uh, you know have civil discourse.
1: Yeah, I love that about it, actually, and it's definitely quite impressive. so kudos to what you're doing. Thank you. We Um, love having you on
0: there. love having you being a part of our community.
1: Thank you. You know, we are honored, really. And as we learn more about how to navigate through the community, we'll look forward to interacting with your membership and becoming a part of it. So, yeah, it was a highlight of this year for us, for sure, to become a part of it. So we're honored. Thank you so much. We love having you.
0: And it is a great community with a lot of great professionals, including yourselves. So thank you so much for being a part of it and helping us grow together.
1: Well, you know what? That's the, <laughs> that's the goal. I think that we are all much stronger together. Yeah, it's such an exciting time to be part of that. So, um what else would you like people to know about the community or anything?
0: Well, you know, the normalization of cannabis. We talked about Cribs. There is a TV show that's coming up, but I got to stay a little bit tight-lipped about but uh, there's a lot of really exciting things that uh, 2019 holds for not only growers network, but I think, you know, the cannabis community at large, I think we have a lot of things to celebrate over the last year. I think we can look back and say, wow, we've come a long way. We, we had Canada go full on legal. That was huge. Adult use rack is legal in Canada. We got rid of Jeff sessions. I think that was a pretty big step forward for the cannabis community and Mexico. I think our neighbors to the South are making some pretty impressive strides toward outright legalization uh, as they've recognized that their constitution wasn't so constitutional as it applied to cannabis. There had been uh, a new approach to it with a new administration. There's a new approach down South. And it's really hard for us stuck in the middle here in the United States to not take notice of that as, you know, new industry takes a foothold and it's, now light years ahead of the United States economy, um, I think you're going to start to see the powers that be take note and really spurn on some change. I think, you know, as as I said, I've been doing this for a long time, and every year I think next year is going to be it, man. We're going legal next year. Well, honestly, I really do think that 2019 or 2020 could be the years that, you know, this war comes to an end in the United States where we're actually able to, free some nonviolent drug offenders who have some, you know, outrageously long prison sentences for marijuana crimes. Um, I, I see, you know, the burgeoning of a new, wonderful, lucrative industry for, uh, for everyone, not just a few select individuals or an oligopoly in a given state. Um, It's really going to open up wide for, for everyone. It is a wild, wild, wide-open industry. Uh, that's what I've learned. So it's going to be a good year.
1: I think so, too. And earlier, this new trade agreement, which is replacing NAFTA, the USMCA, was signed by Trudeau, Pena, and Trump at the G20 summit. And one of the things that I was sort of hoping that they could incorporate in it be really interesting to have that trade agreement include the free trade of cannabis across borders. Um, oh my gosh! But it's a little ahead of of the time, and that was wishful thinking under this current administration. That would never happen. But, so- but I am hopeful that we can establish some kind of free trade with the cannabis industry because I think it'll benefit everyone to be able to share ideas and it'll open up the doors for a lot of patients to take advantage of you know, new formulations and new plant strains that are specifically targeting certain disease types. So, I look forward to that sometime in the future, and I hope that we can get to that. But it was interesting to see that that was actually signed. So, um, we'll see what happens there. Yeah. (laughs) It's one thing that I think has come out of the administration this year that I think is a positive thing. So, we'll see, and hopefully, it'll get people back to work now if we can just do away with those stupid tariffs that are.
0: You know, silver linings, find them where you can. Yeah,
1: silver lining. That's right. <laughs> Stay positive. <laughs> yeah, we have to take the small victories. All we've got. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, and uh, I interviewed the former president of Mexico, um, President Fox, a few months ago, and He's one of the biggest champions of cannabis that there ever was. I think that his advocacy of it really has opened up a lot of doors. And Mexico has decriminalized all drugs. So, yeah, yeah, so they're not treating drug use as a crime. Of course, they're treating the cartel trade, the underground trafficking and all of that. That's criminal still. But simple possession, they're not locking people up for self-medicating which I think is great. And then they can spend those resources for people who have addiction problems with the harder drugs, rather than locking them up behind bars and perpetuating the cycle of criminality and treating addicts as hardened criminals. You know, now they can put them into rehab. And, you know, there's so many advantages to legalizing illicit substances like that so that we are not perpetuating the crime. And I think the prohibition of drugs is what's brought the crime. So it'll be an it interesting. There's no question
0: about it. And there's, there's another effort in Mexico that we need to focus on, and that's, that's the destigmatization of cannabis amongst the culture in Mexico. And that's, that's something that's gonna happen over time. And I think as you see it normalize the world over, the stigma will slowly break. But as it, as it stands in, in Mexico, uh, cannabis is still treated as a very personal, almost a taboo part of their culture. So we've—that's you know, part of what we're here to do—is to to change the uh, the overall feeling about cannabis. And I think that's that's part of what we're doing here today.
1: Right. Well, prohibition began as a a sort of a racist stunt in a way, and sort and the, of the demons... I think it
0: was pretty overt in its racism. <laughs> yeah, the word itself is propaganda.
1: Right. Well, yeah, you're right. So, and the racism specifically targeted the Mexican farm workers, basically. 100%. So, it's no surprise that the stigma is so deep in Mexico because basically there was a lot of shaming that went on as a result of that. As a result of that, you know, and for the last 81 years, can you believe it's been 81 years? For the I last, choked a
0: little when you said that. Yeah, I threw up my mouth. I can't believe that.
1: Yeah, 81 years since then.
0: Year, and, right.
1: and over all that time, almost every policy, every anti-drug policy has had the racial undertones. And specifically, Mexico has been victimized by that so much. So it really is no surprise that the stigma is very deep there. And it may take time to overcome. It may take a lot longer than shifting the paradigm amongst the most staunch opponents here. So it takes two weeks to brainwash someone, and it takes two years to deprogram them to whatever it is that they've become brainwashed about.
0: societal level. Does it take, like, you know, one generation to brainwash, three to undo? Well,
1: it all it takes is one brilliant PR campaign <laughs> and you've basically Thanks, Anslinger. It. Yeah, Anslinger, Hurst and and uh, DuPont and who else was part of that mix? uh you know Rockefeller was in there too and you know
0: the titans of industry hated him.
1: Oh yeah. Well, you know what it, it competed with oil. So just about everything that can be made out of oil can be made out of hemp. And they had their forests that they wanted to use. They had their petrochemicals they were extracting out of the ground to mulch trees into paper. So, and Hearst had a lot of newspapers and he could produce them a lot more cheaply and make a lot more money. And DuPont could find a use for these these hideous chemicals that have become such a huge part of our society. And, you know, an Anslinger could put the oil to good use by giving it to DuPont to make the petrochemicals out of it. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, there's recipe
0: for propaganda.
1: Oh, yeah. And when you compare what happened in 1937 to what's happening today, and you look at the success of the propaganda campaign that has people convinced that there's a deep state conspiracy going on, and facts are not facts. And, you know, and then the freedom of the press is being attacked, you know, the, the whole fourth estate is being attacked on a daily basis. And terrifying. it's, it's really terrifying. And there's well established, respected media institutions in our country that have been around for, you know, more than 100 years, are now being demonized by a PR campaign that is so successfully brainwashing people that there's no amount of truth or fact or evidence that can convince them that they've heard a bill of goods. So if you examine what happened in 1937, it was a very short period of time in which people were so convinced that cannabis was the devil's weed. And from that point forward, it's taken all of that time Until like the 1990s, when people started saying, hey, wait a minute, this was all a big lie. What was wrong with hemp? Why is that illegal? Why is that in Schedule 1? And so it's taken all that time now to convince people, oh, well, hemp's not so bad. Hemp isn't even a drug. So
0: yeah, and look how long. So now we've got John John Boehner getting into uh, the weed business. Oh Where's yeah, that
1: Alabama? I know. And when he was speaker, he was against any kind of legislation. He didn't even allow it to go to the floor. it was fun. He hated. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I don't know. I have to go look at that, but it's yeah, but isn't it interesting how how things change? And it it boils down to someone was convinced and the minute somebody from their tribe is convinced, the chances are that other people who believed as he did will be convinced as well, and we saw that happen when they approved the hemp measure. And then, of course, you oh, had some
0: people.
1: So. Yeah, and you, of course you had some people in Congress, and I think they got voted out of office. So I think we're okay now. But somebody in Congress had taken that bill to omit any kind of extract or any of the f- cellulose or fibrous biomass to remain in Schedule 1, whereas it was going to be legal to grow the plant. And when I read this, I was thinking to myself, where is the logic here? Why would you legalize a plant and then say that you can't use the biomass to make, make anything that'll compete with the petrochemicals? Here we are, so many years later, and we're still finding that there are people who are making these, these arguments uh, that just make absolutely zero sense, and they're still so staunchly opposed.
0: They make total sense if you look at their campaign contribution. Who's actually putting money into their campaign coffers? You know exactly where that came from and where that logic stemmed from. It doesn't take too much in, in today's political atmosphere. I think. <laughs> yeah,
1: and and <laughs> you're stating the obvious. I mean, it's so... But But and they don't even try to hide that really, but oh, they'll try worry. to convince people that that is not the case. They'll try to convince people of the alternative fact that hemp is bad, and you know eh, I don't you know you have to
0: leave that logic to a politician. You have to. Nobody of sense or reason could even make that argument.
1: yeah, it, it's scary. <laughs> It's really scary, but it goes to show you how how gullible we can be if we allow ourselves to be, and I think that um, a lot of the problems that we're facing today uh, occur because we don't keep an open mind, if that makes sense. Yeah, and the,
0: co- the combination of that and misinformation. I think there's such a rampant spread of misinformation out there in, t- in today's climate and culture that um, You know, this is how we remedy it, is by having a a good clearinghouse of information, having uh, proper discourse between, you know, professionals that that you can get behind, that you can, you know, know, science, things like that, reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can get behind that. and I think that's where Growers Network is coming in in the cannabis sphere, is that we really are providing fact-checked, real information about cannabis, about the legislation that's happening, about current events, all in one place where you can read it with your morning cup of coffee and be fully apprised on what's happening in today's cannabis world, where, you know, it would take hours just trying to disseminate a lot of the, you know, misinformation that exists, you know, out there, especially on the Internet.
1: I agree with that. And I think in this age of misinformation and fake news, there's really nothing more powerful than making a personal connection to get your facts straight. I look at social media and you know it's very, very tribal, and you'll get people making comments on things that just you know it, it comes from their own universe of facts wherever they're getting them, and whether it be Breitbart or what have you and there's no amount of convincing them in any post and it's not until you actually get in front of them and you make a personal connection and build that sense of community and remind them that they might think that in a social blog or a social post, you know, that you're not a member of their tribe, but when you're in front of them and they realize, hey, wait a minute, this is a friend who's talking, you you sort of make that personal connection and suddenly they're not so brazen in attacking you for your beliefs and they start to listen. You rebuild that community. We're all part of
0: the human tribe at that point. Exactly. That, that sort of interface.
1: Right, and yeah. I think that that 's what 's missing so much from you know from these controversial issues. What is missing is the fact that we 're all operating in a vacuum, and once we start making those connections, uh, it becomes much more personalized and the paradigm shifts a lot, and so that 's why I think that having communities where people can be mentored and people can learn and understand from real people who are discussing real issues is so important. And it's also one of the reasons that I think that opening up the Growers Network to the public in the way that you're planning to do next year is going to be a really powerful thing for people who want to learn the facts from from those who are actually in the field working on it and succeeding and showing that this is an important plant. It's got so many uses. It's environmentally uh, beneficial for everyone. It's it's got health benefits be- that are off the charts. It'll transform medicine. I mean, there are just so many advantages to this this community. And I so look forward to being a part of it. And Nick, I'm really grateful that you were able to come on and
0: share your insights today. It is a pleasure and an honor. Thank you so much for taking the time today and you know, for having me on. And thank you for being a part of our community and your contributions. We really look forward to having you on there. And uh, 2019 is gonna be a great year for the Cannabis Reporter, for Growers Network, and indeed for the whole cannabis community. And we really look forward to it. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Nick. Oh, it is time to bring yet another show to a close. Once again, I'd personally like to thank my guest, Nick Sandberg, for sharing his insights and knowledge with us today. If you'd like to learn more about the Growers Network and other work he's doing, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com, click podcast to find today's episode, and there I will post his bio along with information and a link to his website. We have so many people to thank. First, I'd like to express our gratitude for our radio sponsors, Canisphere Biotech and Healthtera. We certainly couldn't be doing this without you. I'd also like to thank my production team here at the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show for making us shine, and our programming directors at XRQK Radio Network and Society Bites Radio for distributing our show. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Snowden Bishop inviting you to join me again next week. Same time, same place for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, be safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day.